Hey, what's going on? Jason Bay here, but you can call me J Bay. You're listening to Blissful Prospecting. This is a podcast for reps and sales teams who love landing big meetings with their prospects. But hey, when you go to make a cold call and you're feeling a little bit reluctant, maybe a little nervous, and then you end up making it and it doesn't go as well as you'd hoped, and the rejection is a little tough to deal with. So if that's something you've ever come across, you're definitely in the right place. Today's episode is a series that I do called Sales Rants with my good friend, Jeff Bajorek. So let's get to the episode. So this is gonna be a fun one. So again, my friend Jeff, he has a podcast called The Why and the Buy. Make sure to check it out. It's one of my favorite sales podcasts. He just did an episode today with Daryl Prale. I don't know when you're going to be listening to this, actually. <laughs> so it may be a, a couple weeks ago, but make sure to check out his podcast. He's got a bunch of cool stuff he's got going on there. Today, we're going to be ranting on these four topics. The first one is like your intent. Does your intentions when you reach out to someone, like, does it matter? Like why you're reaching out to them? So in other words, like if you're super money motivated, and you want to get something from the prospect, is that going to affect the way that you prospect or sell? We're going to talk about that. Jeff's got a topic that he is uh, you know, kind of stewing on called novelty versus context. So is it more important to be novel or to create context or both? We have a good discussion around that. We also talk about how to get better at taking rejection by getting better at rejecting others. That's a topic I'm super passionate about. And then he's going to talk about something he calls professional discovery. So how to ask really good questions. So this is the 100th episode of the podcast. I'm super excited that this is going to be with my good friend, Jeff. So make sure to check it out here. Before we get to that, if you like listening to podcasts, you know, one of the challenges, of course, is that it's kind of long form content, right? It could be 30, 45, an hour sometimes with our show. If you're looking for stuff that's a little more bite-sized, like something that you could consume in five or 10 minutes, that's highly actionable. I put together a one pager. It's like a cheat sheet with our best bite-sized content. So it's our best LinkedIn stuff, our best videos, short clips of the podcasts, that kind of thing. You can grab that at blissfulprospecting.com slash Jason, and I'll send it over to you. So again, it's a one-pager cheat sheet, got all of our best actionable bite-sized stuff in it, stuff that'll help you send better cold emails, make better cold calls, you know, intros, all kinds of cool stuff. Blissfulprospecting.com slash Jason, and let's get to it with Jeff. Jason, I love your new technology here, this little timer on the, the screen. Like that is next level. Like you're stepping your game up here. My question is, why did you choose to do that? And really, I'm kind of covering and introducing our topic here, but I wanted to call out your cool tech. When it comes to prospecting, does intent mean anything? And this is a loaded question. I want to give go into a little bit more detail. Like we started this conversation actually in a clubhouse room a little earlier this idea that like, are you prospecting for your own benefit or are you prospecting for your prospects benefit? Does your intention matter? Is there more that you should be considering when it comes to who you're reaching out to? Yeah. I think that this is an important topic because I think most people are not that great at acting. If you think about it, right. I'm not really great at like lying to people, which is probably a good thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's, good, it's good for my wife. Yeah, I think that because we're not really good actors and like pretending, I think intent is really important because people can see, hear, smell, you know, intent from a mile away. For sure. And it's not that we don't have to come in 
And yeah, we've talked about the being money motivated. I think that's totally okay to be money motivated. But I think it's like, if you look at like the money comes as a byproduct of helping someone and before you can help someone, you have to start a conversation with them. I think the intent like means a lot because the intent, especially in a cold call is going to drive your tonality. You can hear if someone is asking for directions like this. Hey, Jeff, like I was a little lost here. Like, do you know where so-and-so is or where this place is? Like that kind of tonality in a cold call. Hey, I was on your site and, you know, I noticed these sort of things. And typically you know, what I hear is that sometimes people like you run into these types of problems. Is that something you're running across right now? That intent, like you don't have to fake the tonality if you come in with this intention of, curiosity and like learning about them and seeing if there's something you can help with. So I think absolutely it's important. It's not everything, but I think it's very, very important. What does it sound like when people are faking? Uh, hey, Jeff, um, want to let you know, I'm such a big fan of your podcast. Like your podcast is so awesome. Um, what you and Christy <laughs> do is so great. And you know what? Like you're just really awesome. And I, and I would love to like talk to you about about what you're doing with your business and how awesome it is like that. I mean, obviously I'm exaggerating a little not bit, really. <laughs> but you can tell that that's not genuine interest. Okay. You know, versus, oh, Jeff, you know, you put out this episode with so-and-so and what I thought was really interesting was this. And I was kind of thinking about, you know, how that's connected to this other thing that sometimes I hear people like you have problems with. And I was just wondering, is that something you've ever thought about? Or is that something on your radar for 2021? You know, like that's a very different, it's unassumptive. You know, I like using the analogy with the personal trainer. Sure. If you're a personal trainer and you walk up to someone that's out of shape and say, hey, you look like you could use personal training, you're probably going to get a middle finger <laughs> in response to that, right? Versus, um, hey, I saw that you've been coming to the gym a lot. I'm curious, like, you know, have you ever put thought into like your workout plan and like how you change it on a, you know, a bi-monthly basis just to kind of fit your needs? Have you ever sat down and really like put together a custom workout plan before? Oh, no, no, I haven't been meaning. You know what I mean? It's being curious about yeah. like, what are they doing? What might they be running across? How could I help them? It's, it's a very, very different approach that I think is highly driven by your intent. You alluded to something, but didn't say it specifically. And what I picked up when you were talking about and talking through those examples is I noticed you did something and it made me think, right? You can put that in quotations, right? I, I've been paying attention to you, or maybe I haven't even been paying attention to you, but I caught something in my feed or you, someone I know mentioned you, something you did make me think. And since it made me think, I recognized that there was a way we may be able to help you. Now, all of a sudden, there's a catalyst for a discussion. There is a reason for the call. And that is something that I think a lot of people miss. And it's hard to pick up on that when you are just calling from a list, right? Or your auto dialer is going, or you're provided a list of these contacts who could be leads. You know, it's, it's difficult to do. So I think one of the things that separates sales professional from a professional seller is taking the time to not just take those leads for what they are, but take those leads, plug them into Sales Navigator, plug them into your CRM, plug them into whatever social listening tool you have, or even if it's not social media listening, even if it's proactively just giving them a look, going to the website, doing your homework. There's still so many reps that don't do any homework. They feel like the homework has been done for them. It is my job to push the button that says dial, understanding a little bit about what they're up to, what they're up against, having that context already created for them so that you can come through 
with your statement. You said it beautifully. I work with companies like yours and you typically have these issues. What are you doing to address those issues? I'm really curious because I know how I help people with those issues and it's typically A, B, or C, but if you're having those issues, how are you getting over them or are they stuck with you or are you stuck on them? One of two things can happen. One, you identify a problem that they are looking for help with that you can help them with or they're going to give you some insight that you can take to other prospects because they're solving it in a certain way, which helps you understand your value proposition and also helps you understand other options that you can give to other prospects and even your own customers. But the context is already created when you see something that made you think, right? I saw something you did and it made me think that genuine curiosity has a place to land at that point. Oh, good stuff. So... (laughs) Let's look at novelty. You have this kind of idea around like novelty versus creating context. And I think where that stems, correct me if I'm wrong, is like our focus in sales being around the shiny objects. So it's like, how can we get someone's attention by being the Tesla, like that ugly ass truck that they came out with, right? It's like, how can we just be completely different? It's a truck. I don't know any of the uh, specs on it, but it's probably not as good of a truck as any of the other truck brands out there, it's just like different. It's just completely different from anything else you'll see. Is that where you're kind of coming from with this or? Well, people want quick fixes. Mm -hmm. And so when you're prospecting all day, the last thing you want is to not get anywhere. The last thing you want is to spend an entire day on the phone, an entire day crafting emails, doing the best work you can possibly do, do the work that you believe is the height of your capability and not get anywhere. Yeah. So you start by... Like, okay, what is I'm doing wrong? There's got to be some, look, so other people are succeeding. What are they doing that I'm not doing? There's got to be this one little thing, right? And I think that one little thing is sometimes a big thing. And I think when you are looking for that one little thing, that way to stand out, you and I both talk about differentiation, the importance of it, you know, but, and we also talk, both of us, about pattern interruption, how valuable that is. But if all you're worried about If all you're concerned about is how am I going to interrupt their pattern during the day? How am I going to stand out? It doesn't necessarily help you do your job. And if you're looking for three words in a subject line, that'll get your email responded to. If you're looking for an automatic surefire way of a certain time of day where people are going to pick up, you're doing the wrong thing. I believe that prospecting is about two things. It's about demonstrating that you are someone worth talking to and that you have something worth talking about. And sometimes it takes more than three calls, three touches, three anything to make that happen. And when we look at the data that's out there, time after time after time again, we are told that it is dozens of attempts over a shorter period of time that we're willing to admit that it takes in order for someone to call you back, respond to you, acknowledge that you exist as a human being walking this earth. It's 15, 20 touches over four to six weeks is about like the best fit average for all the data and stuff I've seen. Why are you worried about how to get your email returned in three, you know, in three emails? Why aren't you worried instead about putting together 20 valuable touches that will make you feel justified in interrupting people over the next four to six weeks? So instead of trying to stand out, why don't you do the work with those touches to create the context around the problem that you solve? I think that is the right way to prospect. And what happens is inevitably you plan for 16 and every once in a while it takes 25 and every once in a while you get through in two. 
you probably get through in two a lot more often than you realize, but you're willing to do the work. And I think that's the biggest differentiator. I just think those are two different approaches. Yeah. And so few people are taking advantage of the longer one, not yeah. for obvious reasons, but it's been proven to work. Yeah. I'm going to take a different spin on this. You would. And let's look at Apple. <laughs> Apple, like their whole tagline is like, be different. Think different. Yep. Think different. Mm -hmm. And what's kind of interesting about that is you look at all the successful products that they've had. Most of them have been Me Too products. You know, iPod, not the first MP3 player, right? But it was like the marketing, their ability to stick out in the marketing message. Mm -hmm. Thousand songs in your pocket. That was the tagline for iPod right? iPods are cool. Yeah. iPad, not the first tablet, nope. right? Not the first, you know, kind of thing, but they made you think that you needed an iPad, right? And a lot of it was around like the marketing, like Steve Jobs, brilliant marketer, Yep. you know, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant marketer. You look at the iPhone and yeah, there was this like, uh, you know, if you remember the keynote with Steve Jobs, it was him spinning the little cube and like, Hey, phone, web browsing, MP3, phone, web browsing, MP3, all in one place. And it was the appeal. And I think how it was presented was very important as well. Now, I'm not saying that that was everything because Apple happens to create world-class products. These are extremely high quality products too. Yes. But if they just tried to sell the iPad like it was another tablet or the iPhone like it was another phone and like talk about like how this phone is better versus how it's different, I don't think it would have landed quite the same. Put Bill Gates in Steve Jobs' position. Dude, I just don't think it lands the same, man. Nope. So where I'm coming from with this is I hear what you're saying. I do think there is value in novelty, though. Assuming that the basics are there. Assuming that you have good messaging and that and you have a good cadence and like it's a you know providing some sort of value and all this other stuff. I do think novelty is a big part of it, though. I agree. Mm -hmm. And part of the novelty of Apple were the white headphones. Part of the novelty of Apple was the simplicity and the beauty and the design. Um, but what did they do? They created a hell of a lot of context for why their ecosystem mattered. Mm -hmm. And the more context they created, they brought more and more people over. And I'm not saying that novelty isn't important. But what I'm saying is novelty is nuance to context. If you're looking for novelty at the expense of trying to create context, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You're looking for low-hanging fruit alone and you're missing out because so few of your competitors are willing to do the work. Are you willing to do the work is the question. And if you're not willing to do the work and you're just looking, is there a way that I can stand out? Can I show up with cloud makeup on and make them remember me? Will that make them take you seriously? right? Like novelty may get their attention, but will it also help you take them seriously? There is a certain kind of novelty that will fix both. And there's novelty for novelties yeah. get you laughed out of an office sometimes. So I'm not trying to invalidate either. Yep. But what I'm saying is if you're just focused on how fast can I do this? Why isn't it easier? You're missing the boat. The long-term, the medium to long-term approach, once you commit to that creates way more opportunity. You're not trying to find a needle in a haystack. Love it, dude. Boom. Next topic. <laughs> We're getting good at these segments. These, these segments are getting a little tighter. This is fun. Okay. You're big on empathy. I like that you're big on empathy. We're seeing the softer side of Jason Bay. I want to know what the old Jason was like. I want to know what it was like to run with uh, old Jay Bay before he got in touch with his feelings. One of the things we face in selling is rejection. Nobody likes to get rejected. It's one of those human emotions that we're kind of prone to avoiding. And that makes a ton of sense. 
but you've got this idea that you can get better at taking rejection by being better at giving rejection. And I don't exactly know where you're coming from and I can't wait to hear about it, but I think I see where you're going with it and I'm excited to hear you explain it. So my wife actually pointed this out to me because I was talking about having to, you know, you get these requests, right? People ask you for stuff when you put out content. People ask me all the time to look at their cold emails and like all this other stuff. Yeah. And what I caught myself doing was like rejecting these people in a way that probably felt like pretty cold Mm. to them. Like I can't fault someone for having like the gumption to like ask someone that they look up to for help. Like that's freaking awesome, man. Like that is so cool that this person that looks at me, which makes me feel weird. Yeah. They look at me like this, like expert on like cold emails and they want my opinion on their cold email. How cool is that? You know what I mean? And I wasn't matching that emotion. And what I worry about is, you know, telling someone no, that I'm not going to look at their cold email and them being so, you know, hurt by that, that they don't want to even consume my content anymore. Mm. And what I started thinking about was, well, you know, what are the best ways to reject people? And I, and I thought about how I've been rejected, you know, in that think outside the script tour last year, there were some big names. I won't mention any names specifically, cause it's probably not fair to them to do that, but they rejected me in an awesome way. Yeah. Jason, dude, I'm so excited for your event. It looks like you put so much work into this. You have a great lineup of speakers. Unfortunately, I just can't make it work. I felt so good yeah. receiving that. And what I caught myself doing just to kind of bring this full circle is by not having empathy for the people that I was rejecting, I didn't realize I was doing the same thing to people that I don't like being done to me. Mm. And it helped me actually understand that it wasn't personal. I had nothing personal with these people when I was rejecting them. I actually felt uncomfortable rejecting them. I didn't know how to do it. And now what I do is meet their level of excitement. Hey, Jeff, I can see you're really excited and and you put a lot of work into this cold email. And I bet it kind of took a lot to reach out to me to ask for help on that. So I commend you for that. But if I said yes to every one of these requests, I wouldn't have a business. So that's helped me get better at taking rejection because I realized that I've done those same things to people and it was never personal ever. It had nothing to do with them or how they asked me or any of that kind of stuff. I was just in a place where I felt uncomfortable doing it. And that makes you have empathy, more empathy for the people that reject you and realizing that, you know what? It's probably really uncomfortable for them to say no. They probably don't like doing it and they don't really know how to do it. We are, and you and I particularly with the things that we do for people, right? I mean, selling is a service professional, but we sell our own services to salespeople, right? So people who provide professional services for a living don't typically like to reject people. They don't like to say no, because you and I are in this to help people. And we feel like every opportunity to help people is a good one, right? Like someone reaches out to me, I want to say yes. My initial inclination is to say yes, which then to your point is like, well, why isn't everybody else's initial inclination to say yes? Why didn't that guy return my email? Why didn't he send the calendar request when I asked him when we could meet? Why didn't he or she do those things? But it's important. I think what you're saying too is being mindful of the rejection itself, learning from the rejections you get, also being mindful that you can reject other people in a very kind, civil way. And sometimes it's important to do that because what you have to stand for, and and here's kind of the, it's the counterintuitive take. People have more respect for you when you reject them than you think. I've mentioned this, maybe it was sometime we were talking for one of these segments and maybe it was just another time we were talking. When I have had the out of office voicemail on my phone because I was on a trip with my wife 
And I literally I left this voicemail. I said, look, if this is an emergency, call my wife and she'll get it. She's got her phone. I don't. If you don't know my wife's phone number or even her name, this isn't an emergency. And I'll call you when I get back. And it's like, to someone who doesn't know me that well, who still is a client, that could be a rejection. That could be like, what do you mean I'm not important? What do you mean this is an emergency? My hair's on fire right now. Well, no, it's not. I know what I do. Nothing I do is earth shattering urgent. I don't have any product that's in the mail that needs to get to you by a certain date. I'm a consultant for crying out loud. You talk to me for advice for what you're going to do for the next six months, not what you're going to do in the next six seconds. So no, it can't be that much of an emergency. Think, check yourself, right? Think about this. I got more thank yous for that than you even imagine. People come back and they say, you know what? I really appreciate that. One, it was kind of funny. Okay, thank you. Uh, two, kind of put me in my place a little bit. All right, that's fun. But thank you for having boundaries that I don't have, but I wish I did. And that's the thing that rejection teaches me because I initially say, okay, why did he take, why did I get a no? Huh? Oh, wow. And now you've got a completely different level of empathy for that person. And so there's so much you can learn just by being mindful of the interactions that you have and thinking about how to translate them into others. Yeah. Don't make the rejection about you. Make it about the other person. Lean in, yes. you know, in a sales context, when someone tells me, I just think I'm going to hire someone else over you. I thank them for telling me that Yeah, because I'm like, I bet that was kind of hard to tell to my face that you don't like want to work with me. Right. Thank you. Right. And sometimes they open up a little bit there and we have a good conversation and we end up flipping it yep. every now and then. Yep. That doesn't happen otherwise. And if you don't flip it now and then, it leaves the door open for something later. There is no such thing, and I saw your timer go to zero, so I'll keep it brief. There's no such thing as a bad sales call if you learn something on it. It always helps you. All right. Lastly, I love talking discovery and especially questions. I don't know if there's a book. There should be a book called The Art of Questions, something like that for sales. I don't know if there is something like that, but you have this... Uh, kind of approach with discovery of like the types of questions, like the layers of the questions and asking questions maybe that you don't even know the answer to right. versus like kind of the general sales advice sometimes is like, ask, don't ask a question you don't know the answer to, which I think is so stupid because then you're just, what are you, a lawyer, like leading the witness down a path? You know what I mean? Like yes. that's, that's not something they participate in together. So what's this professional discovery thing? I got to come up with a better term than professional discovery, but right now it's the one that's sticking. 1988, Neil Rackham publishes Spin Selling, and it confirms what a lot of people had thought. And that's that salespeople who spend more time listening than they spend talking make more sales. Okay. Well, how do you do that? Well, you ask questions and you let your prospect talk. Okay. So you take the standard manipulative salesperson and you tell him that you got to ask questions. And what does he do? He finds a way to ask questions that he already knows the answers to so that he checks all the boxes. He still gets to manipulate his prospect. He's still asking questions. What, boss? I did what I was supposed to do. Close the deal. That's what you wanted anyway, right? Well, it doesn't solve the bigger problem, which is that people don't like being treated that way. Okay. So now we've got this situation where there are trainers all over the world telling people, ask questions, ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. And then they end up asking questions that they already know the answer to, or they know how their prospect is going to answer them, essentially. And the prospect still feels painted into a corner. They don't feel particularly good about the exchange. And when you get logicked, that's, that's a word now, by the way, when you get logicked into buying something, 
you don't feel good about that purchase. Yeah, lots people buy emotionally; they justify the purchase logically. But if you skip the emotion part, you don't have a good experience as a customer. So, I also see that a lot of salespeople, because I think because they don't want to end up in that situation, they almost completely overlook discovery and they don't spend enough time there at all. So you go from asking the wrong questions to asking no questions at all. Now, spin selling represents the things that you need to uncover, a checklist more or less for the things you want to uncover in a discovery process. Let's call that the science of selling. My approach is really more the art. And so I approach discovery with a ton of curiosity and a ton of patience. I'm willing to schedule multiple discovery calls if it means that I can actually learn what I need to learn. And I don't care how long it takes because for me, and maybe this is selfish and just the way my business is set up, I don't care if the deal closes this week or next month. As long as it closes on a long enough timeline, I'm good. I think you've got three levels of professional discovery. And this requires bravery on behalf of the seller because they have to be comfortable with things they don't know. And you have to be uncomfortable with the idea that the conversation could go sideways if you don't kind of keep a rein on it, but you also can't manipulate your prospect. These uh, levels essentially are three. One is ask questions that your prospect doesn't know the answer to. This creates a little bit of tension, demonstrates a little bit of expertise, and alludes to the fact that you might know something that they don't know or they aren't addressing right now. The second level is ask questions that you don't know the answer to. And this is where sales trainers start to explode. How are you willing to lose control of the call? Well, because it deepens the connection with my prospect. They know that I'm right there with them. I'm curious. I want to know something and digging a little bit deeper. They're going along on that journey with me. The third level is asking questions that neither of you know the answer to. And those are the forward looking, like what becomes possible if we do this together kind of question. I like to think of figuratively wrapping your arm around prospect and looking off at the horizon thinking, wow, what could happen if we did this, right? Those are where relationships are really ingrained and deepened. I love this. We'll have to talk after this because I've already come up with a couple of names for your uh, your framework here. Uh, <laughs> I'm a total frameworks junkie. So this, I love the layer of questions where neither of you know the answer to. To me, that is like the ticket. Yep. What advice do you have for like, where do you even start though with a question? Like that's the part I always struggle with is like, what is that like stop you in your boots, you know, kind of question how do we explore coming up with that question? It requires a significant investment in the first two levels. Now, the thing about that is you can't just jump to level three because level one creates the context for level two. And you have to be really curious in level one to understand what you need to ask yeah. in level two. I can't script these questions, yeah. right? And so if you're trying to contrive the whole interaction, you're going to miss opportunities because you're, you're already thinking of what you're going to say next yeah. instead of listening to what your prospect has to say. And then based on, you know, like, look, in level one, we have a pretty good idea of what we're going to ask. And we hope we have an idea of what they're going to say. Level two, it gets a little bit further removed. Level three, that's got to come out of a real connection. You can't always get there. You have to be willing to go there, but you have to be willing to accept that you won't always get there. So it's very difficult to even give you sample questions, but beyond the one that I already gave you, okay, based on what we've talked about today, look, if I can provide this solution and you can get these results, what does that make possible six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, right? I mean, that's a generic enough framework for that, but you got to earn the right to ask that question. So that's why I think this framework is so powerful. Mm -hmm. It might be why some people will call it bullshit too, but like, it's not based on anything. It's based on what could happen if you're willing to go there 
And I don't think enough salespeople think in terms of that. I think people want to stay safe. They want to stay in an environment that they trust. They want to stay in an environment that they know. They'd rather have predictability over effectiveness. And I think it prevents a lot of greatness. All right, that was a fun one. I'm still like really kind of sitting on this topic of, you know, getting better at taking rejection by getting better at rejecting others. I think that when we think about that, we have a little bit more empathy for the people that are rejecting us and understand that, hey, the end of this is not personal. So thanks again for tuning in to the show today. I have a quick favor. If you're getting value out of this, there's several thousand of you that listen to this podcast. So I'm assuming you're getting value out of it. One thing that would mean a lot to me is if you could leave a short, honest review on iTunes. So there's a podcast app on your phone if you search for Blissful Prospecting and you might be having that, playing that in the podcast player. Scroll down to the bottom, leave a short, honest review. It helps us grow the show so that I can get this in front of more folks like you and also get some really great guests on. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.